We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by NoHalftime.com. It is Tuesday, September 6, 2016. Jake Letarski here alongside Derek Van Riper for our first waiver wire centered episode of 2016. If you're out there on Twitter, give Derek a follow at Derek Van Riper. You can follow me at JakeSki52. And one final reminder, if you happen to be listening to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, please leave us a nice rating and review. Any and all feedback is appreciated. DVR, we're going to talk about the waiver wire. We're going to talk about FAB bids today. The way I see it, uh, FAB, which stands for Free Agent Acquisition Budget, is essentially to a standard waiver system like an auction is to a snake draft. It's significantly a superior way of doing things. Are you on the same page there? Yeah, I don't think any of the leagues I play in anymore uh, go without using FAB. I think even my home league added it a few (laughs) seasons back. And it's first come, first serve after the free agent bidding process runs. But the (laughs) main benefit of this, of course, it's not just a race to the waiver wire in the sense that, mm-hmm. yeah, even though you can't necessarily uh, pick up a player 
without having them pass through waivers in leagues that have first come first serve, like it's just a better way of distributing things as opposed to saying mm-hmm. this team's dead last. So they get the top waiver priority this week, or this team hasn't claimed a player in a while. So they're at the top of the queue. It just seems like a, a much more strategic, but a much more fair way to distribute players in season. Mm-hmm. If you really like a player that gets an opportunity, you can shatter the piggy bank and spend most of your fab dollars and get that player. I think it's just a more fun way to go about your business each and every week. Yeah, the alternative options, I mean, first come, first serve, that's really not fair for everyone. You know, you essentially have to be quick to the draw. And then, you know, the other traditional option is just the rolling waivers where, you know, you get a waiver claim, then you go to the bottom of the list and you have to save your top waiver claim. I prefer the chance, especially early on, if you like a free agent, you know, you like them more than anybody else, then you can go ahead and get them spending a lot of your money. And also in keeper leagues, it allows you to set a penalty for potential uh, waiver wire pickups there. So overall, a lot to like. When we do do fab recommendations there, remember that these are going to be based on a 12-team standard format with a $100 budget. Of course, if your league uses a $200 budget, just double that. If you're in a 14 or 16-team league, you probably need to shell out a few more fab dollars because there are a few more owners that you will be competing against. So there is uh, a couple notes to uh, take into account as we start to get into these bids. But uh, we're going to break it down position by position. We're going to start at the quarterback position, and there's a guy that we've been talking about getting a lot of preseason buzz who I think if you need a quarterback in the early part of the season, he's probably your best bet. And that is Dak Prescott, who happens to only be owned at about 52% of Yahoo formats today. Now, remember, this isn't necessarily a season-long pickup here because Tony Romo's going to miss 8 to 10 weeks. We could see him back anywhere from week 7 to week 10. But are, are you in the camp that you're going to go go in on Prescott here? And, and how much is an, is an adequate bid for him? I haven't picked him up anywhere, but the only league where I'm putting in a bid is the Stopa Law Firm League. It's a two-quarterback league because there's a super flex spot, Mm -hmm. and pretty much every starting quarterback gets picked up in that league for each and every week. So not a big surprise there's interest. In a one-quarterback league, the bar is pretty high that he has to clear to be useful. I mean, maybe he can fall into the Alex Smith, Joe Flacco, Brock Osweiler range. And that, to me, is more like a 14-team league where you'd roster one of those guys as a backup. So unless you went really cheap and only have one quarterback, maybe you've got Winston, but you didn't take a backup and you just want to have a little insurance, I could see the case for going after Prescott. Never a bad thing to have two good players at the same position. You can always try to make a trade in most leagues. But with Prescott, you know he's going to give the job back to Tony Romo if Tony Romo does, in fact, heal up in the next eight ten weeks no ir for romo that was kind of the big news of the morning and uh, cowboys wordsmith jerry jones saying that uh, there's no need to circumcise the mosquito which i've never heard that expression before oh. with the re- with regards to um placing romo on ir in part because he didn't feel like the cowboys had a 53rd player deserving of the roster spot so that's a little hard to believe throwing, for me. throwing circumcision out of the mix and focusing solely on the procedural aspect of not putting Romo on IR they can bring him back when he's ready so if he's ready Mm -hmm. closer to like week five or week six if he's ahead of schedule that's still a possibility that would also limit the value of Dak if that happens I mean the thing about Dak Prescott that's interesting of course he can run Mm -hmm. and any quarterback that has that mobility gets a higher floor as a result the question is what's going to happen going up against first team NFL defenses I know he had a great preseason the best case scenario to me is that he can be kind of in the Tyrod Taylor, Marcus Mariota range, but I think that's a stretch, at least 
as the season begins. Maybe a few games in, he gets comfortable, and he can start playing at that level. Yeah, I would say it's a short-term replacement option if you were in a deep, maybe two-quarterback format, and you were relying on a guy like Romo or a guy like Bradford, even, who might not start week one or or, or any anything of that sort. So uh, something to take a look at. But, you know, you do have to think that Romo's 36, and uh, after seeing him just take one hit in the preseason and essentially break his back again, the fragility aspect is probably there a little bit in case he does come back, especially if they rush him back maybe a little too early because they didn't put him on IR but uh so Dak Prescott's probably the number one quarterback target if there is a need there however there are a couple more guys that have probably opened up since the start of your draft so if you drafted there's a couple starting quarterback changes and you want to go ahead and uh, run those by real quick here Trevor Simeon from Denver is one of them and Carson Wentz from Philadelphia of course presume the starter after the Sam Bradford deal doesn't look like they're going to go to Chase Daniel going to go right to Carson Wentz week one here so both of these guys are are zero to one dollar bids in any kind of standard format for me is there any merit to either of those guys for you well Wentz I think is a little more mobile uh so Mm -hmm. I think that's a situation kind of like Prescott where you could see him if he's not necessarily productive early he could start to produce as we move into October and November more of a stash type player I mean immediate value I think you lean Prescott because the weapons around Dak Prescott are much better than the weapons around Carson Wentz you Mm -hmm. get the advantage at running back with Zeke Elliott over Ryan Matthews you got a top receiver in Des Bryant Uh, you've got a tight end in Jason Witten who's still at his age probably just as reliable as a Zach Ertz or a Brent Selleck so in terms of uh, setup it's a better setup for Dak. I think that's where you'd go a bit lower with the bid on Carson Wentz. I didn't think they would turn to him quite this early. There was a good mm-hmm. chance that Chase Daniel would make a few starts for the Eagles because he's familiar with Doug Peterson's offense from his time in Kansas City. So looking at Wentz versus Simeon, I like Wentz better because I think Paxton Lynch is going to take over this job at some point during the season. Maybe it's not the first month, but it's going to happen eventually unless Trevor Simeon can play at a Brock Osweiler-type level from a year ago, and I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be the case. Not a bad setup for Simeon, but I can see this Broncos team being one that leads the league in rushing attempts this season. Yeah, I mean, if you talk purely from a weapons perspective, I think it's clear that Simeon does have better weapons on offense than Carson Wentz. I mean, you got Jordan Matthews for Wentz, the recently added Doriel Green Beckham, but but I mean, Simeon, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, C.J. Anderson with Devontae Booker waiting in the wings is a decent amount to like there. So I think maybe if it's just a one-week replacement, you could see someone like that. But again, this is going to be a team that's run heavy here. So, But either way, I mean, these aren't really players you're really touching in your standard 12 teams, very small bids two quarterbacks, deep formats if you're in a real pickle here. Let's move on to the running back position here where there are some standout options. Uh, I'm going to start with the player who I think should be the top free agent target if your league does do a fab period before week one, and that is Spencer Ware of the Kansas City Chiefs. I can see spending 10 to 15% of your budget on a guy like Spencer Ware, maybe even more if you're a Charles owner. He's someone that didn't get uh, a ton of love in draft season up until recently, but now it's starting to look like, hey, maybe Jamal Charles might be out for week one. Spencer Ware only owned in 62% of Yahoo leagues so there's still 38 percent of leagues out there where he is available what kind of your budget are you shelling out for him i might even spend more if i'm not a charles owner i think 20 to 25 percent is reasonable if you need help at running back i mean where could catch more passes than he did last year charles is less than a year removed from acl surgery so even though they're hinting at thing at the link at the like the likelihood to say that he's not going to be limited once he comes back or that he might even miss more games i mean he could miss two or three games to begin the season, week four, week five, maybe see eight to ten carries, and even then, where could be the guy at the goal line? It could be an even timeshare. 
there's a lot of different ways this could play out. I mean, if you think about it this way, if D'Angelo Williams were available in your league in Fab, you'd probably spend a lot more because of what you saw last year. Mm-hmm. But Spencer Ware might have a similar window this year to produce. It could be as many as three games when you think about where Charles is at in his recovery, how this has been his second ACL tear, and the Chiefs probably want to bring him along in a way that ensures he's healthy once he does come back. You don't want to bring him back too soon and risk making the recovery from the ACL tear something that plagues him throughout the entire 2016 season. Yeah, exactly. Now, Spencer Ware, he's a player that has risen about 20 draft spots on in ESPN leagues over the last seven days, something to look at, about 123 overall. So you're looking at like a late ninth, early 10th round pick now in your if you're drafting this week or happen to draft last week in your standard 12 team formats but if you drafted a month ago there's a good chance Spencer Ware wasn't on a lot of people's radars just because Charles was ready to presume to be ready to go so now you have Ware a potential three down back I mean Chuck Andrick West who's also in the mix there he's not completely healthy he's dealing with an elbow injury as well and that kept him out of the team's dress rehearsal third preseason game uh, I mean chances are he'll be available to suit up but it doesn't look like he will be 100% so this job looks like it might be wears for week one and, and maybe week two or three and we all know Charles injury history with the, with the knee issues having having two knee procedures serious knee procedures that there's there could be chances down the road where he does give way to wear. Yeah, I, I like the setup for him quite a bit. You look at a guy like Niall Davis. He hasn't really done much in opportunities mm-hmm. with the Chiefs over these past three seasons. Niall Davis theoretically knows the offense and would be a threat. but He's more of a kick returner, I always thought of. That's pretty much what they use him for. Yeah, they, they didn't. Special I mean, teams, kick returner, not really a running back. Well, and this time last year, we thought if anything happened to Charles, Niall Davis was the handcuffed to own. I mean, Spencer Ware mm-hmm. and Charkandrick West were not on the radar Yep, outside of the very deepest of leagues going into the 2015 season. So now I look at Davis as more of an afterthought, a guy that would maybe only spell a player like Ware you know, for a series at most if Sharkandrick West is limited or unavailable in the absence of Jamal Charles. So Spencer Ware has a great setup. In week one, the matchup against San Diego is fantastic. Uh, the DFS ownership levels are going to be off the charts. We're going to probably see 35 to 40% ownership on Spencer Ware mm-hmm. in cash games. Probably going to see like 15 to 20% in some GPPs. That, that's... I mean, I'm not necessarily good at forecasting ownership rates, but uh, I'm expecting him to be a very chalky play regardless of format based on opponent, expected volume, uh, and price. Yeah, he does get the Chargers week one, so that's even more reason to go ahead and bid on him. I'm going to use him in my starting lineup. I I drafted a 12-team league uh, two nights ago. And I'm going to use Spencer Ware over Tyler Lockett in my flex spot is just kind of where I'm putting him because I like Lockett long term, but I think Ware's matchup week one is going to allow him to score a lot of points here. Let's move on to another running back, though, heading over to Seattle, a guy who's starting to look more and more like there's a chance he could compete with Thomas Rawls. But it's a fantasy name that we've brought up on this waiver wire show. I've done this for the past two seasons before this one now, and he's someone I've most definitely talked about before. But he's someone that's gaining steam and is available in 50% of Yahoo leagues, and that is Christine Michael of the Seahawks. Uh, is, it, has, is there any chance that he can earn your trust back from a fantasy perspective? Well, I don't really have an option in my home league. I drafted him for a buck in the end game as 10-team league last night. A lot of people spending top dollar of course on more talented players end game players went a little cheaper than you would expect and that it was a 10 team league was a factor as well it just sounds like Kristen michael has come into this situation with i don't know like maybe a new perspective after being dealt away by seattle last season i think it was a minor trade that sent him to dallas and he just didn't really latch on there that was a great situation too behind that offensive line didn't stick and by all accounts he's 
uh, kind of reinvented himself or applied himself differently than he did in his first run with Seattle. It's never been a question about talent. I mean, this guy's 5'10", 221, uh, 4'5", which for someone who weighs 221 is actually pretty good speed. Uh, he was a second-round draft pick, too. Second-round draft pick out of Texas A&M. And then you look at these other measurables from the combine. We're talking like agility things like shuttle time, cone drill, vertical jump, broad jump, all the things we keep on the Rotowire player pages. He grades out as elite among running backs mm-hmm. in all of them. So the top-end speed being average is less of a concern when the, the agility and the strength and everything else kind of measures up near the top of the chart at the running back position. I don't think you have to overpay to get him because he's burned people so many time, so many times before. I think with Kristen Michael, it's it's a matter of do you like that situation a little better because it's really just Michael versus Rawls mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent, you know, Procise and Collins. Or do you like someone like Terrence West, who has, I think, even more backs to compete with, even with Kenneth Dixon banged up? Like, that's the question is, do you want both of those guys? Probably not. If you're going to choose one, mm-hmm. do you go after Michael or do you go after Terrence West? Yeah, that, that's a very interesting dilemma because I think there's going to be a lot of bids out on Spencer Ware if he's available. Or, of course, if you drafted recently, he probably won't be available. So then you have to look to the next tier of backs if you need someone for week one. Kristen Michael's a good option. And then, of course, it brings us to Terrence West here. And that's another interesting situation in Baltimore. Now we have the release of Justin Forsett. And because of that, Terrence West, if you look at ESPN drafts over the last seven days, he's jumped almost 40 spots in ADP because Terrence West was someone who was a complete afterthought. It was Justin Forsett and then maybe Buck Allen with Terrence West potentially working his way in. But he's had a strong preseason. And now it's looking like uh, he may or may not uh, be getting a lot of carries. However, it looks like Justin Forsett re-signed with the Ravens on Monday. So there's an interesting scenario there. Do you think Terrence West can still maybe take out enough uh, of Forsett's workload? Yeah, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see Forsett and West split carries, and then Buck Allen's going to catch the passes because that's Mm -hmm. something we saw throughout last season. And when you have two players in Forsett and West chopping up 20 carries, maybe it's 12-8 favoring Forsett or 12-8 favoring West. I don't really see it swinging much more in one player's direction than that to begin this season. It's kind of an ongoing audition for that lead back role. I think the Ravens want to see what happens when the games count, when Terrence West is running against first team defense. And I think if, if West plays better than four set week one, week two, he could eventually get 17, 18 carries a game for this team. Mm-hmm. The problem for both of these guys is that even if you emerge to be the lead back to begin the season, Allen's still there to catch passes, and eventually Kenneth Dixon, if he comes back from his MCL tear in October, he could push them all to take over various aspects of the job. I mean, to me, Kenneth Dixon might be the most complete back the Ravens have on their 53-man roster, but he doesn't have health right now. So if I had to handicap it for week one, I would say in terms of value, like at a half-point PPR or a non-PPR I'd give the edge to Forsett over West just because mm-hmm. he's the incumbent. It seems like the the release and re-signing thing was a procedural move. He was a veteran. They knew that other teams would be reluctant to go out and get him as a 30-year-old back. His familiarity with the system, I think, bodes well. Uh, he wasn't bad last year, 4.2 yards per carry, certainly not the same mark that we saw from him in 2014. But he is just a full year removed from being a pro bowler who averaged more than five yards per carry in this Baltimore offense. Yeah, so there is a decent amount to like there. But like you said, 30 years old, and I think that eventually he'll be on the downswing there. But again, he didn't even miss any practice time essentially throughout this whole whole ordeal because of the NFL off days. So I think, uh, so I mean, yeah, you look at this Ravens backfield and there are some intriguing options, but I think the, I think you and me both can maybe agree that 
we did talk about Michael first, and I think I would put Michael ahead because there might be a little bit less to compete with. I don't think CJ Procise is uh, is as much of a threat as we originally thought. He was a hot sleeper early on, but uh, not, not necessarily the same situation anymore based on how the preseason's played out here. Uh, one other backfield I just want to hit on, though, is uh, Washington backfield. Rob Kelly was trending a little bit, but I just want to re- reiterate, it looks like Matt Jones, with, who's dealing with that AC shoulder issue, is going to be ready for week one. Chris Thompson's also dealing with his own shoulder issue. Is there any like Hail Mary-type value in a guy like Rob Kelly? I don't think so. I think it's worth maybe throwing a small bid on him in Fab and, and putting him behind the likes of where Michael and West and if Forsett's available behind Forsett too. Uh, just in case, you know, Thompson or Jones has a setback. I think if that happens, you could see some kind of timeshare split. The player I actually like the most in that backfield right now is Chris Thompson based on relative value. Mm-hmm. We know he's going to have a pass-catching role Last year, when he ran it, wasn't very often, 35 carries, 216 yards on the ground, 6.2 yards a pop. Does have some uh, breakaway speed. Not a big back, though. Not the kind of guy that they would necessarily entrust to carry the ball more than six to eight times per game. But maybe he's kind of like a, an Andre Ellington-type player, which mm-hmm. if you think about last year, I mean, I'm an idiot because I did it, but Andre Ellington was like an 18 to $20 player in auctions this time a year ago, and with David Johnson there and Chris Johnson there, we didn't really know how much Chris Johnson was going to be utilized last year. Mm-hmm. There was that threat that the rookie could take over touches. Washington doesn't have that problem. And the investment cost is a couple bucks at an auction if you haven't auctioned yet or a, a very late-round pick mm-hmm. on Chris Thompson. So I think Chris Thompson should also be kind of a, a down-list running back pickup. Mm-hmm. We just don't know how much they want to use him because he was hurt when they were getting a look at Rob Kelly and uh, the now-cut Mac Brown. Yeah, so just to summarize, Thompson definitely a, a commodity, someone that you might want to consider owning, especially in your deeper PPR formats. There, there is some value there to consider uh, because, I, I don't know, I've, I've seen players with this AC joint shoulder issue before, and, and it, they have suffered setbacks. I'm not saying it's going to happen with Matt Jones, but there is seemingly a decent chance of, of him suffering complications from that injury. So I do own a decent amount of Chris Thompson in a couple best ball leagues and also a couple just $1 bids, and I'm hoping I might be able to get some utility out of that. But you're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent and thinking to yourself, I would love to challenge just one of his players, not his entire team, but your sports service doesn't allow you to. Now you can on the all-new No Halftime app. The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit Odell Beckham against Antonio Brown, Cam versus Aaron Rodgers, or even Ezekiel Elliott against Todd Gurley. Creating a challenge takes seconds, and accepting challenges is even easier. No halftime challenges can be private or public and created for the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, and other sports. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app for your iPhone or Android device. Use the promo code ROTOFF16 and receive a 100% bonus up to $25. That's real money and fantasy supremacy that awaits you. No halftime, where the fantasy sports season never takes a break. Join today and get started. Well, Derek, we're going to continue with our waiver wire preview here, our pre-week one waiver wire show, and we're going to move on to the wide receiver position, where I think one of the biggest risers uh, throughout the last maybe month, the last couple weeks of the preseason, a name that wasn't on draft boards if you drafted in mid-July, for example, that's Tajay Sharp of the Tennessee Titans. It's looking more and more like we might see Rashard Matthews as uh, one of the top options there, but also Tajay Sharp's working his way into a starting role and into the mix. If he is still out there on your waiver league, what type of bid are you looking at and how many shares are you looking to get i'd probably have him in like one or two leagues max i I Mm -hmm. don't 
have any real issue with the talent. But what I have questions about is uh, just how many targets he's actually going to get week in and week out. I mean, maybe maybe he kind of does some of the things Kendall Wright was supposed to do a year ago in that mm-hmm. offense. Now, it seems like T- Tajay Sharp's really on the same page with Marcus Mariota, which is, is everything as far as that passing game goes. But I feel like he's going to catch a lot of balls close to the line of scrimmage. So if you're not in a full-point PPR league especially, that's where he really takes a hit. He's available in the Stopa League. It's a 12-team half-point PPR league. We start three receivers. I'm looking at him maybe as like a $1 or $2 type player at the bottom mm-hmm. of my list, not somebody that I want to rely on every single week as like a top 35 receiver in that format. <laughs> yeah, he was he was taken in uh, my most recent draft. That was Sunday night. But he is only owned in 41% of Yahoo leagues right now. I think maybe part of that is how their draft list is set up. But there's a 60% chance essentially that he's available if you can go get him. And I think especially if it's a three-wide receiver format, I, I, I think part of the reason is the Yahoo format being by default two wide receivers in a flex. So you have to change it to get to the three wide receivers. But if it's a three-wide receiver format or any kind of a PPR. I think he needs to be on your fab list this week here. So uh, yeah, looking at Tajay Sharp for sure. Another guy that I was on as a sleeper in my deeper formats, but now the price I'm having to pay for him is starting to slowly rise is Tyler Boyd, the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I, I had this gut feeling that I wasn't sure about Brandon LaFell uh, being the complement to A.J. Green. Tyler Boyd's now gaining momentum, especially now it looks like Tyler Eifert's going to be uh, out for the first three weeks. DVR, what kind of price are you expecting to pay for someone like Tyler Boyd if he is, in fact, available on your waiver wire? Probably like 7 to 10% of the budget, and then again, PPR is a factor. I mean, with Eifert being banged up, that does open up some targets. Really comes down to Boyd versus Brandon LaFell in the competition for looks behind AJ Green. So it could be more of a, an early season surger in volume leagues as opposed to somebody who all season long is getting a reliable uh, number of targets from Andy Dalton. But it seems like Dalton's been pretty impressed by the rookie out of pit uh, throughout training camp in the preseason. That bodes well for his chances of having a meaningful role in week one. Plus, with the matchup against the Jets, of course, AJ Green's going to draw the attention of Darrell Rivas. When that happens, Boyd's going to have the more favorable matchup on the other side of the field. So week one in particular could be a nice spot for Boyd compared to Sharp. I like Boyd slightly better, mostly because of the setup in Cincinnati being a little better. Uh, continuity in that offense certainly goes a long way. But I'm not necessarily going more than like 7 to 10% of my budget on either one of these guys. And generally speaking, I don't want to have to rely on them unless we're talking about like a 14-team league or deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we have an office league draft tonight that is a 16-team league, and I think you know, all these guys are going to get drafted in that type of format. But yeah, there are people that you want to keep on your radar, especially if it's a dynasty format. You've got a couple younger players, and if you can get away with a maybe $6, $7 bid, that all of a sudden might make them keepable next year. So something to think about there. Um, any other receivers really jump out at you for week one at all, DVR? I have Doriel Green Beckham written down, but I'm a little bit nervous with the Carson Wentz, uh, the rookie quarterback week one. Anybody else that you have bids on or are you trying to target here? I mean, Kenny Stills might be available in some leagues that drafted early. I think with Devontae Parker a little dinged up, maybe Stills has extra mm-hmm. appeal in week one, but it's a matchup against Seattle, so it's low volume, high upside, high risk kind of thing if, if you're going to use him. Uh, Mike Wallace is available in a few of my leagues. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's someone that's been on the rise in terms of ADP. 
Well, uh, Mike the, Wallace, he's up to 140 in ESPN leagues where he's starting to get taken. And the thing I like about him is that he's more of a downfield sort of threat. Joe Flacco throws a pretty good deep exactly. ball, so this could actually be a decent landing spot for Wallace, who's really underachieved for the last couple seasons, uh, both in Miami and in Minnesota. This could be a better fit for him. You have to factor in age as far as where he's at skills-wise, certainly not the player he was back in Pittsburgh, but I could see his efficiency numbers going up a little bit in Baltimore. I actually like Wallace probably a tick more than Sharp and Boyd if you're trying to plug somebody in for week one. Yeah, uh, then the, you don't have to rely on a rookie, your first, second-year player. Yeah, I mean, I just think players like that can be so volatile anyway because their roles, you might think they're ready for a full complement of snaps, but their coaching staff doesn't necessarily agree with that mm-hmm. assessment. Uh, the other player that I'd put on the radar for, for deeper PPR leagues is Eli Rogers. He's supposed to be the slot receiver in Pittsburgh, and we expend a lot of energy looking at Marcus Wheaton versus Sammy Coates. But if Eli Rogers is always the guy working out of the slot, I think in full point PPR, he becomes kind of interesting in ways similar to how Tajay Sharp is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I see that. And uh, just looking at some of the movers and shakers in terms of ADP, I'm not exactly sure how to explain this, but Anquan Bolden's jumped almost 30 spots in the last seven days in ESPN leagues. He's up to about 140 overall in terms of his average pick. So maybe it's because people aren't so high on Marvin Jones. Maybe he's just, I mean, he's a name that people recognize that are doing their late drafts. So I think a lot of people look in that direction. Yeah, I wonder if they also change like the default rankings or something like that, if that could drive up uh, the price on a, on a player like yeah, that. That's a good way to explain it, too. One other name, and it depends if you drafted early or not. I don't think he's going undrafted in leagues that have drafted in the last two weeks, but he's available uh, in the Stopa League is Chris Hogan. And, oh, yeah. you know, there's been some buzz on him. He went in the fifth round of my NFFC Classic draft on Saturday, which is crazy. It's a full-point PPR league, 14-team league. Somebody in the room liked him, and there are a lot of smart players in the NFFC. Now, there are also people that go in there and do occasionally stupid things. So not knowing who exactly that person was who made that assessment, um, I'm looking at Hogan as a player that's just in a good offense and really more of a guy that you want to have once Tom Brady gets back after week five. So if he's out there, try to pick him up and stash him away. I, I think of the Sharp, Boyd, Eli Rogers, Doriel Green, Beckham bunch, Hogan would be the, the best option. Certainly has the most season-long, long-term potential. Think think two years ago, Brandon LaFell, that type of volume maybe in New England. Which was actually a really good player. That's yeah, like, he was Bra- like Brandon a LaFell was like a, like a low-end wide receiver two at points during that season if you were in a 12-team league based on the actual output. Yeah, versus last year, Brandon LaFell, mm-hmm. it's a big difference. People should be sure to look at those numbers before before just kind of saying, hey, what's Jake talking about? Brandon LaFell was awful. Like Two years ago, he was two actually years. good. Exactly. So you're, you're dead on. And Part I of think, that was Gronk injuries, but I mean, there there's volume well and, and and i've got a lot of shares of gronk too so maybe hogan's part of the cover i know martellus bennett's there to possibly uh, step mm-hmm. in if gronk goes down but i mean hogan gets the benefit of playing behind edelman and danny amendola two guys that have certainly had their share of difficulty with injuries over these last four to five seasons yeah especially someone like edelman that's maybe had a concussion or two in the past you know one more could trigger a multi-game absence there so something to think about yeah for sure so uh i almost i just overlooked putting bolden or i'm sorry not bolden uh hogan on this out line because he was being drafted in all my recent drafts lately so i almost overlooked it but that's a good catch there dvr let's move on to the tight end spot though where uh, a lot of owners maybe put some stock in jimmy graham who's dealing with a knee injury he's going to be out week one most likely tyler eifert looks like he's going to be out for about the first three weeks of the season so you got to might have to make a move in that case especially if you didn't aggressively target the backup tight end position uh during your draft 
The one name that stands out to me, I had a lot. I had a lot of Ladarius Green shares in really early drafts, but then we have the whole ankle concussion thing. Do you look to Jesse James at all in, in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense? You mentioned the slot receiver that they have there, but uh, Ben Roethlisberger likes to go to the tight end. There's no Heath Miller around, and Green is hurt. Is Jeff, Jesse James one of your top tight end pickups? Yeah, he is. I mean, six seven, uh, fifth rounder out of Penn State in his second season. They don't really have anybody else there who can handle that role. Uh, just yet and I think because of the uncertainty we talked about between Coates and Marcus Wheaton for that number two receiver spot we're looking at James as a player that could be an impact player maybe not someone that gets more than five or six targets a game at any point this year but of those targets it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's getting one or two looks in the red zone on a regular basis so not necessarily the high volume tight end you want but if you drafted Ladarius Green or Austin Safarian Jenkins, who's been running with the twos at Bucks practice and seems to be um, in the doghouse yet again. You know, they've got five tight ends on the roster in Tampa Bay. Jesse James might be the kind of player you pick up for the beginning of the season mm-hmm. and just kind of see how the Steelers use him. Because as you've mentioned, I mean, Heath Miller was a, a big part of that offense over the years. And if James quickly earns the trust of Ben Roethlisberger, there's a lot of value to be had there. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. I mean, I think Jesse James is someone that if you don't pick him up before week one, that price is going to shoot up quite a bit, especially if he gets five or six targets in week one. We'll see how the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger start to uh, get that going there. But uh, another couple names you might want to look at, uh, there's Virgil Green for the Broncos, Vance McDonald for the Niners, Clive Walford for the Raiders. Some of these guys are backup uh tight ends that most took during drafts but they are they do have some decent availability there is there any appeal to any of those guys for you Walford's interesting I don't think Michael Crabtree is a dominant red zone sort of player and that's one of the maybe the weaknesses of Amari Cooper too he doesn't have the uh, overwhelming physical like presence in close that Walford could bring to the table Uh, so I kind of like him I think of the three you mentioned I like McDonald a little more than Walford I like Walford more than Green Mm -hmm. I probably would put James ahead of Green behind McDonald I think James versus Walford's really interesting I'd probably go McDonald James Walford Green if I were trying to rank them for full season value as of today but there's there's not a lot separating that quartet and value right now yeah one thing we agree upon is that the the Niners and, and Vance McDonald there's just not a lot of pass catching options in San Francisco so it's a team that might have to go to Sean Drone week one and then you look at the receiver depth chart Torrey Smith leads the pack, followed by Quentin Patton. And then, and then you know, you have tight ends like Vance McDonald. He certainly got the bill. He started to show shades of being a productive fantasy option last season and could very well carry that into this year. The biggest obstacle for McDonald is going to be the quarterback play, who, you know, whether it's Blaine Gabbard or Colin Kaepernick, probably isn't the strongest there. All right. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think McDonald, because of the lack of competition, that's what makes him appealing. Might be more than a red zone threat. Might be a guy that actually gets a fair number of targets between the 20s. Yeah, it could help move the chains, helping out in a lot of formats. Well, that's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by NoHalftime.com. Also, remember to check out Rotowire free for 10 days by going to Rotowire.com slash pod. That's Rotowire.com slash pod. Once again, I'm Jake Latarski. You can give me a follow at jakeski 52 I'm Derek Van Riper. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. All right, the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast will return Wednesday with Mario and John.